Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food fact series. I am Amanda Hayes, your host, a nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guests, I will take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, hit the red subscribe button, or on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I will also mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided on Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure, or prevent injuries or medical conditions and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, it is my great honor to be here with Sarah Sutter and Jason Tyndall. Many of you have probably heard of Sarah because she is an Aussie netball star. That includes representing Australia in netball uh, in 1995 in the World Championships where Australia won a gold medal and then again in 1998 at the Commonwealth Games where Australia also won a gold medal. Apart from that, she played for many years for the Thunderbirds, which is South Australia's much-loved state netball team. So today, Sarah holds a Bachelor of Education with a major in Physical Education, and she is the CEO of Nature Play SA, and that is what we're here to talk about today. Jason Tyndall is the General Manager of Nature Play SA. His career started in environmental management from where he moved into environmental education and joined Nature Play SA to work with Sarah. So Nature Play SA is an independent, not-for-profit organisation established in 2014. I believe the concept was started in Western Australia and initially funding was provided by the government. So the vision of Nature Play SA is to empower the South Australian community to engage their children in nature through outdoor learning and play. I'll leave it to Sarah and Jason to tell us more about what Nature Play SA does and the programs that it runs. But I'll quickly mention that this ties in very well with episode 17 where I discussed nature, unstructured nature play and resilience building in children with Dr. Scott Cousins. So I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Jason. Welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Thank you, Amanda. It's great to be here. Hello and good morning. Good morning. And Sarah, before we dive into our topic for today, I just can't sit here and not ask you about netball. So do you have a career highlight? Oh, I think I've got many career yeah, highlights <laughs> after uh, playing at top level for over 15 years. Wow. But probably for me, representing your country, you know, playing yeah. for Australia, being in Australian Diamonds and probably playing netball at the first Commonwealth Games in 1998 and winning gold was, um, yeah, fantastic. But also winning premierships with the Thunderbirds and contacts and uh, making lifelong friends and, uh, you know, playing in a team sport has just yeah. been sensational. I have to say I, I watch a lot of netball because my girls play and I do love watching it. I never played. I was a hockey person. So 
um, yeah, it's a great sport. It's so fast. Yeah, yeah. look, at, and it, yeah, it really has, and it's really yeah. sort of progressed with the times, and uh, it, it is a fantastic uh, sport, especially for girls. Yeah, it's terrific. All those years, over 15 years of playing high-level netball, what, um, what's that brought to your life, do you think? Oh, it's, it's brought a lot to my life, and uh, I don't think I'd be the person I am now without um, playing in a, uh, a team sport. So it's taught me to, you know, work, work together w- with a team mm-hmm. and, you know, talk, talk, uh, taught me about leadership, but it's also um, made me the person who I am by travelling and, and meeting other people and uh, also seeing how far I can go as an individual and really, um, uh, you know, making me the best person that that I can be. So, you know, physically and mentally, you know, I've had challenges along the way and I've I've lost grand finals and I've been uh, injured, but it's also taught me resilience and, uh, and, you know, to keep on going. And if you work hard, you can, you know, achieve the ultimate dream. So anyway, now that we've got that out of the way, (laughs) we can talk about uh, Nature Play SA. So as I mentioned in the introduction, it's a not-for-profit organisation and the um, vision is to empower the South Australian community to engage their children in nature through outdoor learning and play. So I'd like to ask each of you how you came to work at Nature Play SA. So Jason, I believe you started out in environmental management. So can you tell us a bit about your progression and how you ended up at Nature Play SA? Yeah, sure. Well, I think um, with most people, my first interaction with nature started as a child. Mm -hmm. And I guess moving into my teenage years, it probably went a bit dormant in me. I guess I was a bit too cool for nature, as you (laughs) could say. Um, And then as I got older, I was sort of searching my way and... um, I left school early and I came across a program called Green Corps. And Green Corps was basically a program for young children to, or young kids, um, sort of 16 to 20. And we got out and we, you know, pulled up weeds and, and sort of went out into nature, into the hills and did all those sorts of things. Oh, cool. And so that was for six months and there was 10 of us and there was a whole bunch of different kids. There were some kids that listened to punk music. There were some kids, kids that listened to classical music. So it was a very diverse group that's great um and from there i realized that's kind of what i wanted to do to work yeah. with nature and i went back to the roots of my childhood then i moved into um going to tafe and i gave that a crack and then ended up in a horticultural apprenticeship which got my hands dirty learned to prune roses that sort of stuff oh, make lots brilliant. of friends when you know how to prune roses um and then moved into um a job as an arborist so trimming trees and mm-hmm. cutting down trees oh, that's for a council. Quite, with a so, big chainsaw hanging yeah, off you. Ex- and <laughs> yeah, no, and cherry pickers. And I remember yeah. um, once I, one of my first sort of trainee days when I got working as an arborist, we're cutting down a tree. It was a dead tree. And I had an ice cream container and I was rescuing all the geckos while they were trying to cut oh, the tree down. Really? I was like 20 geckos. And the guys oh. were just looking at me like these old school council guys were looking at me they're sort of shaking their heads, yeah, but like, I just wouldn't want, didn't want those geckos to get put through the chipper or anything. Oh, so no. put them all in it. And then I took them to a gully and I let them go. Um, oh, you're a kind soul. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, you know, that, that's kind of what nature does to people yeah. in a way. So from there I moved on and um, eventually got into uni. I never thought I could do it, but I did come out the other end and Excellent. went through that and then started working for the local NRM board as an environmental educator, which was good. And I worked with kids with leadership programs and, again, just teaching them uh, or showing them about nature. And, yeah. and when you show children 
things that spark their curiosity, that's where it all begins. Yeah. And it's a very unique form of communication to do that. So was there for many years as an environmental educator and then got the tap on the shoulder from Sarah <laughs> and said, come and work for us. So um, I didn't hesitate for that because yeah, fantastic. nature play is just a, a, a beautiful combination of what I love but also childhood development, which yeah. is so important as a dad. Yes. I can see just how important that is. Yeah, you're right. And Sarah, what about your path? So obviously there was netball and then you're, you qualified as a teacher. So how did you end up at Nature Play SA? Yeah, that's an interesting story. I was tapped on the shoulder because it was a, a newly formed organisation mm-hmm. and one of the board members said to me that you you know, truly live the brand. You'll find me out side on my stand-up paddleboard in in, in the ocean uh, catching squid and uh, you know I'm forever surfing with my children and uh, live a, yeah, a, a very uh, outside um, lifestyle and uh, also being I, was te- I came back from Sydney teaching here and uh, I could see that the children were they didn't have the gross motor skills and they weren't taking risks and they were thought wow childhood is is changing mm. and and some parents said to me you know thanks so much for taking my children to the park wow. i'm going really isn't that just what you do and then you know i used to leave my children a bit on the beach while i go for a walk and people go oh you can't do that and i'm going whoa this is a really different um you know culture change yeah. here and then i started reading uh, richard louv's book last child in the woods and you know i could see that childhood was changing and um, so that sort of really gave me the incentive to actually come and lead this organization and uh, to try and make a difference for these children but also personally like Jason nature has always been a very big part of my life Um, when I was dropped from the Australian netball team or I had a severe injury I always went back to the ocean and uh, I think my times walking on the beach barefooted and uh, looking out there and that has really helped me mentally and also physically and then later in my life after I um, uh, had some children overseas uh, in San Francisco I had a really a rough sort of um, time after and I think my time spending time out out in the parks mentally really um, helped me get through a really rough time so uh, yeah that's why I'm here yeah I have to say being out in nature is is my medicine as well and trail running's where it's at for me that's what makes me happy yeah Um, and I I think you know as an individual and society I think we forget the power of nature and uh, you know we're seeing uh, you know the children aren't having the opportunity to experience what Mm. we've we've experienced and uh, you know it's so powerful for our soul yeah I think when we were children and I discussed this with Dr Scott Cousins we were quite free range you know we just went out all day paddled around in the local creek caught tadpoles no phones nothing just got home in time for dinner it's so different now isn't it yeah it it definitely is you know childhood has really changed and uh, you know it's what jason and i have seen the really risk averse society Mm. we are seeing and you know that's just even through the playgrounds in the councils and and the schools and uh you know children aren't allowed to climb trees and you know we come now in the driveway and and we you know shut the fence you know the, the the gates close and the doors close and you don't see those children on the streets you don't see that social interaction and unfortunately the you know we're taking away the creeks we're taking away those big blocks for the children um to explore they're now you know getting three houses on it and uh yeah you know it it really is um yeah has changed 
Jason, can you tell us some of the reasons why you think it's important for children to engage with nature and what, what are some of the benefits that you see in your work? Yeah, sure. So there's, I guess, I mean, we could spend all day talking about it, yeah, to be honest, yeah. but really it probably comes down to a few things. And one is um, childhood development. Mm-hmm. So developmentally, play is the work of a child, which is well put by Maria Montessori. But when we say developmental um, benefits, we're talking about emotional, we're talking about social, we're talking about physical, spiritual, all of those elements. Everything. Mm. And resilience as well, which is something these days we're seeing a spike in anxiety and depression in children. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing a spike in obesity. We're Mm. seeing more need for speech pathology than we've ever seen. We're seeing all of these statistics. Mm. And we always reflect, say, what's changed in children's lives? And what's changed is play. Yeah. And play is essentially... It's it's there. It's the social nucleus of childhood. It's what they do. There's teamwork, collaboration. There's understanding social cues. There's a physical activity. There's the emotional regulation. All mm-hmm. of these elements are associated with play, with free play. Mm. And when we reduce that, we start to see those consequences. Yeah, and I think you just said then free play. And I think that from what I've read, it's it's key because structured play, sort of playing on your, I don't know, what are they called, Xboxes or things like that, that's not really play in the sense that you're using your imagination like you are when you're out in nature and it's free and unstructured. Yeah, so and some of the things that make childhood so beautiful are curiosity, mm. imagination. And as parents, we always say we want resilient children, we want independent children, we want decision makers. Yeah. All of that is at its height with free play. That's yeah. what we see. We It's essentially it's an arena for children to be curious, to ask questions, to have the permission to do those things and that's what we unknowingly as parents often do we'll put walls up we'll say no you can't use your imagination or you can't use those decision making skills which are associated with risk Mm. so if we unpack it all we start to see the restrictions childhood faces today whereas back when we were children it it didn't happen like that yeah and um either of you can answer this question what is it about taking risks do you think that are important for children Decision-making yeah. is a really important one. Mm. But also I think uh, some of the research has told us that if children don't take risks throughout their life, then when they are older in a position to make a decision, so for example, sit behind the wheel of a car, mm. their decision-making around risk isn't developed. Oh, it's kind of like a muscle yeah. if you think about it. So, yeah. um, you know, we would think about when children do take risks, that feeling that we get mm. and Often as parents, we will say, that's too dangerous. Yeah. When really what we're saying to a child is we don't think you can do that. Mm. So when a child isn't allowed to take a risk by us, in their mind it's saying, no, you can't do that. But they haven't for themselves tried. So what that can result in is children going, actually, I don't believe I can do that or that or that. Right. And their self-belief starts to the, to corrode the self essentially efficacy I absolutely think is what um absolutely and, to, yeah. and i've seen it in my daughter when i say i believe you can do this and when she does it that smile on her face and that exhilaration they're the small windows that we mm. want in childhood so that children think to themselves actually i can do that yeah or actually i can speak up or you know they are empowered with their own decision making but their confidence and that's the biggest thing i've seen change we reflected briefly on the anxiety and depression today. Yeah. A lot of it is comes back to the self-belief. Yeah, I'm sure that that absolutely has to be correct, doesn't it? Sarah, you mentioned earlier on that um, childhood has changed a lot in that 
the children, you see kids that don't get outside very much. They don't go to the park. The parents thank you for taking them, which for us as children, that was all just part of the daily routine. We just Mm. were let loose. So what are some of the reasons do you think that that's changed? Uh, definitely technology, the screen, yeah. and uh, you know I've seen that you know with with my children, and you know in our day we we had to get the st- a street directory out to find yes. a way around. You know the Gregory Street directory. You didn't actually ask Siri to uh, can you tell us you know where <laughs> where this street is or or Google Maps. So um, look, technology is definitely you know part of our children's um, life, and it's part mm. of ours as well. But it's definitely um, also a barrier because you know when children are on on the technology they're not physically active they're not getting outside they're not really having that um social uh, connection so you know f- for us it, you know we are we do say that is one of the priorities probably uh parents um you know we're very very busy now so yes. we don't have that time that we did you know you think I think about my generation and I probably shouldn't say my age but I'm 48 so I was so I I was brought up you know my my grandmother never worked and was always with my mum then my mum worked part-time and now I work full-time so to actually have that you know opportunity to spend the time with your children actually to take them outside and to take them to the beach to take them to those parks and to to actually be their teachers you know in their lives you know talking about the tadpoles talking about you know the the change of seasons and uh, I think as parents you know there's so much pressure on us to you know to be able to be perfect at everything and I just think you know we need to stop take a deep breath and have some family time and you know and I'm really really embarrassed to say but I actually schedule it into my weekend now with my children that's not embarrassing that's great (laughs) I actually say you know Sundays we are going for a family walk yeah no we're stopping and I have a husband who loves technology that is off let's go let's go and explore and uh you know, we really need to do that as a family. And it saddens me, you know, I, I go to dinner and, and my children go down, hey, mum, they're not talking to each other. Everyone's on on their phones yeah, as well. it's crazy. It is mm. It is really crazy. And, you know, as a society, we, we need to stop and, and, and make time. Mm. I think more and more people are recognising that in the kind of well-being world that I'm uh, in these days. It's one thing to recognise it, and I think it's, another thing to implement it because it can be quite hard Um, the social media aspect of the kids lives I think is very difficult Mm. because we didn't grow up with it so it's it's a little bit foreign to us and just trying to get the kids away from that but it's important isn't it it's it's definitely important and you know I'm I'm living you know with with a 12 and 13 year old and uh, you know you've got to set the boundaries and and you need to talk about it and um, you know I I see the negative impacts and we're now seeing all the research that's coming out that's that's having the you know the negative impacts Mm. on on the child's um, development so you, you've really got to put boundaries around around the technology and uh, it is not a babysitting tool I know it's easy and I yeah. know you know when I come home from work it's much easier to say yes yeah, sure have that bit longer on the screen you know check your Instagram accounts yeah. or whatever than actually saying no let's go to the park let's go for that walk after yeah. dinner I know it is it's a trap isn't it for parents as well as children it's 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 hard really hard the other thing that I see as well is going slightly off topic is that 
children aren't being taught uh, skills in the kitchen either on um, how to cook and nutrition and that to me is a huge aspect of well-being. Do you have any comments about that? Yeah, for sure. So I think a lot of it when we talk about cooking, when we were kids, we cooked a lot of homegrown stuff in the garden and you look at today's gardens and who are they made for? They're made for adults. They're entertaining, a lot Mm. of them. And we've kind of lost that connection with gardening. We've lost Mm. that connection with growing those things. So um, I have two daughters, one's five and one's eight months. But the five-year-old, we're always out there. We're picking spinach. We're, you know, making pesto. Um, We have fruit trees. And she's so excited that finally they're blossoming. So the apricots are blossoming. Uh, And just outside your window here, you've got some citrus and some, some blossoms. Yeah. And she's talking about what we want to do with it. How do we want to cook it? And we've got a little apron and we cook together. Oh, that's and brilliant. when we talk about nature play, we inject the whole family unit quality time, which includes things like picking homegrown things or seasonal things if you don't have a garden and cooking together. And when we cook together, often we just want to cook to quickly feed, to mm. quickly eat. But it's about the whole process. Yes, fingers will get sticky. Things will get sticky as well. But... There's no technology there. It's just spending that beautiful time together, watching those fine motor skills, you know, push yeah. push the, the moulds in and those sort of things. So I think we've got to get back to things like homegrown gardening to start yeah. to bring those skills back to the kitchen. And so can you tell us, either of you, about what uh, Nature Play SA actually does and what programs you offer? Yeah, certainly. So we are an organisation, of course, getting children back outside. So, you know, we really look where our children are. So we uh, run um, a lot of events and we're actually just about to go into the Nature Play Festival in the uh, September school holidays where we're running three major events, um, which are huge events for, you know, 3,000 people with the Nord Council, with Flinders University and with the Salisbury Council. And we've also gone out to the South Australian community and said, put on some nature play events and you know at the moment we've got we're working with over 40 organizations we've got 120 events running oh, throughout the uh, the school holidays so we really try and empower the community to um you know you know get involved in nature play so we run events so that's how we touch the families we um create some you know amazing resources and jason is you know he's the brain behind all of our resources to engage children and and families to get outside we also where are our children they're at school so we run um we work a lot with educators how to link the curriculum to the outside and then you know also right we go into schools and we run incursions we get the children muddy we get them you know being outside and uh, and having a um having a connection and uh, we're also you know a not-for-profit so i'm also trying to uh, tap into the big boys into the yes. south australian government and uh, you know making them you know make you know decisions for making sure we get our children outside with you know working with the department of environment and water and working with the department for education and uh, i'd also love sa health to uh, come on board as right. well and uh, you know see the work that we're doing and, and and really how to um you know get our children outside so they don't get to the hospital first that we can be proactive and uh, stop stop that yeah wow so it sounds like you've got lots going on what um have you ever come across kids that are reluctant to get muddy and dirty yeah that's a good question amanda so obviously in some cases there are sensory issues at play where there is there is an actual requirement to go down a sort of therapeutic route 
but also there is um i remember one particular example at an event we went to we held it on for international mud day which we just basically get lots of mud and invite lots of people <laughs> oh, sounds um, great. <laughs> and everyone gets absolutely filthy so there was a mum there and she goes look one of my boys just loves the mud and there he was head to toe in mud she goes oh the the other one just doesn't seem to like it so i doubt very much you know he'll get anywhere near it and i watched him and he went over and he put a little his finger in and he kind yeah. of stirred it a little bit and these are big mud pits that we created and he did something really important that a lot of kids can't do today. He watched the other kids. He watched oh. them, observed them, and then he put his foot in. And within, a, within an hour, she's just like, came back up to me and the mum. She goes, you, you won't believe it. Look. And there's her other child launching himself into the mud pit. Oh, covered himself amazing. in mud. And it was the fact that there was a little bit of fear there. Yeah. And that fear can only, in, in this particular circumstance can only be counteracted by observing going, actually, I think yeah. maybe it is okay. I've got permission to try. No one's forcing me and I will try. And it, it, they didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. So, and that's an example of risk-taking for absolutely. that child, isn't and, it? Yeah. And back to the risk debate, which I'm really passionate about, too often as parents, all we want to recognise is the physical risk. Mm. We don't recognise the social risk or emotional risk. Yeah, absolutely. So if we said, wait, that's filthy, you can't go in there, we've just expose that child to a really big emotional risk of going i can do this and i'll do it yeah and too often we don't see that yeah and the other thing that strikes me about that particular story is the boy was given the opportunity but also the time so it took him however long an hour or so you said to actually roll around in the mud too often you would see that scenario where the parents would say oh well he doesn't enjoy it and off they go so that's obviously also important yeah and i refer to a lot as childhood time and childhood time is longer periods of time where children can just be they can just exist they can make their mind up about what they want to do they can experiment and by having that space and that time that's where childhood can really start to happen and the research tells us sometimes it takes up to 40 minutes for children to actually come up with the rules of their game oh right and too often children have 20 minutes yeah, to play absolutely so the things they do they go straight for the equipment quick 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 and they don't have that time to slow down. Mm. And when you get children in slow time, childhood time together, that's when it all happens. The play that we engage with as kids, we start to see it happening. When you talk about events that you run, what what does an event look like? Yeah, an event could be anywhere from being in uh, Kaipo Forest. So uh, we do an amazing event in, in the April school holidays where we actually take families into a wilderness space. And we're finding that, you know, some families talking about risk uh, aren't confident to go into those mm. spaces. And uh, we work a lot into also Belair National Park yeah. as well. So we work in our national parks, but we also work in um, local government areas and just showing people that you don't need always a big national park. You can actually just do it in your own, you know, uh, surroundings. So um, what does it look like here? Well, the next one's coming up is the 29th of September with Norwood Council. That's at Felixstowe Reserve. So mm -hmm. it's a brand new, um, amazing uh, sort of a, a natural uh, reserve that they've uh, formed. And uh, so we've got over, I think, 10, 10 events. So oh, from fantastic. There will be, you know, geocaching. We're oh, working yeah. um, uh, with some uh, Aboriginal people as well. So we really like to bring in our, our culture to, oh, to our events. Brilliant. And, uh, you know, really educate the families. There's a, 
uh, pond dipping and there's potion making and uh, you know there's there's everything's from the uh, for the younger child yeah. to get involved to actually then also to the you know teenage children to to geocache and, and get them moving and and cubby building so they're yeah. very much family engaged um, events that they're, they're very very well run there's always first aid there in yeah. case you know some people are, you know you know it, that's there as well and um, you know there's food trucks and there's coffee for for the oh. mums and uh, so everyone is uh, very very well well catered and uh, they usually run from ten to three and uh, you know there's some amazing stories that we get out of it and just seeing my probably favourite one is is cubby building uh, in Belair National Park and then July school ho- holidays we have two thousand you know people you know coming to to, to the national park and uh, build these massive oh, cubbies fantastic. and just seeing the collaboration the social yeah. engagement you know children will spot a car jason will find a koala in the tree oh. and um you know and they'll be around there for ages and uh, for me um it's such a powerful event and we've never ever had an injury and that's showing you know yeah. these children are working with huge sticks and and that and um you know it, it is just um it's why I do it is when yeah, I see families engaged. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um for the families that perhaps lack the confidence or the know how, that's such a lovely way to do it because they'll go to your event, they know it's safe, they know there'll be things to do. If say the parents feel a bit nervous, they mm. know the kids will have activities and it just sounds wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is our aim, is that and then what we found is that once we've brought the families to their these spaces and they've had that amazing experience they actually then go back and do it themselves and you know as an organization that's what we want we want to empower them not for us to run these events for you it's just you should just do this in your you know family time and uh, you know a lot of the uh, feedback we have you know we get on facebook or instagram hey they send us a photo we came back and we you know did this on sunday with a family so yeah that's wonderful so it's you're probably providing uh inspiration and ideas i think sounds like part of what you do yeah Mm. definitely amanda Mm. in terms of schools so how do you engage with schools like what are the programs you run at schools um, so what we'll do in schools, we'll run incursion or excursion mm-hmm. programs. So we've got an excursion program where we'll bring classes into Belair National Park and uh, build cubbies or we'll actually go um, into the schools and run um, mud activities or geocaching or mm-hmm. sensory experiences and also work with the teachers to show them that the, uh, you know, what learning, um, you know, the children are developing through those activities. Then we also mentor teachers as well. Well, and you know, and that's what we find that the teachers are so overloaded. But we yeah. just wanted to say that hey, you can go and do numeracy outside. You yeah. can do literacy um, outside. You know, STEM and um, and all of the curriculum that they need to do. But you know, it can be done outside. And what we find is when we take those children outside, that you know, they're so um, they work so well together. Yeah. And you know, some of those children who have behavioural issues are much better. Um, uh, they behave much better outside as well. So um, yeah, from the educators to the, to the children. Yeah, there's so many benefits. I know there's research that shows that boys, in particular, learn better when they're moving. 
So being outside is probably really good for that. And there's also in Sweden since the 1950s, I'm sure you've heard of the forest schools that they have over there where they basically do the learning outside. So they'll, you know, find the letters of the alphabet in the in the bush and mm-hmm. um, the shapes, I mean. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of, um, I guess, backing to what you're doing. Like it it's works, doesn't it? People... Oh, it, it definitely it. it definitely works, and uh, you know we're seeing we we work with so many children. There are so many amazing stories that you know children have never been able to sit still, or you know mm. haven't been able to work together. And uh, you know we find that the the social interaction is just so is so powerful. Yeah, yeah. And I was wondering if either of you have thought about or have any opinions about the allergies because that's something that absolutely fascinates me because when I was a child I I literally did not know anyone with an allergy and now you know every school sends home notes about no nuts and all those things and I just it the change has got to be environmental that what whatever we've done to cause that has got to be environmental and one of the theories as I'm sure you're aware of is the sterilization theory that you know everyone's clean and we wipe everything down and don't get muddy so do you have a view about that yeah sure that's it's um it's one that comes up a lot yeah we often um, quote the hygiene hypothesis which Mm. is essentially an overuse of sterilizing Mm. products Mm. and the way that i explain it is um as children um growing up they're exposed to lots and lots of bacteria and a lot of that bacteria is basically coming in to help build immunity Yes. Basically, it comes in to go, look, I'm here to test your immune system. You're here to fight me off. So there's this sort of continual exposure to that. Yeah. And over time, it grows resilience. And if we eliminate that good bacteria coming in, mm. then when the bad stuff comes, it really comes. And that's yeah. where we see an increase in immune-related illnesses. Yeah. Um, so the way that we see it is um, looking at nature as something that's not foreign, but something that's part of us. So when we were kids, we played in the dirt. And we know, in fact, there's a... Uh, a researcher, a neuroscientist in Canada um, who often says to their children, don't wash your hands before eating. <laughs> I'm not advocating <laughs> that, but that's what he says because he yeah. recognizes that good bacteria yeah. that's coming in. So I think that, and also by, by over-sterilizing everything, um, we're also giving the indication that dirt is a bad thing. That's true. I when hadn't thought of it dirt from that angle. Dirt is a good thing. Oh, it feels good it's getting a good your thing. hands in um, the soil. And, the, and it? It also, when we get, um, there's certain things in dirt that, that activate serotonin in our brains. And serotonin oh. is associated with happiness. So, yeah. And as a species, we've always walked on the earth. We've always had the earth in our hands and we're trying to get away from it. Yeah. So there's going to be some consequences. And the research is starting to come out now to say we're too clean. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of other things coming out research around allergies that are related to hygiene yeah no it's very interesting um and i know that's only a hypothesis but it sounds like it you know it it makes sense it's plausible isn't it so what are some of the reactions you've had you have sort of touched on this from parents and and children who have been involved in your programs yeah, I, uh, probably one that still sticks in my mind is when I was uh, did a public speaking engagement with a local um, preschool last year and this mother 
said to me after, she goes, oh, I just want to tell you something. I'm going, oh, here we go. And she goes, um, and she started crying. And she oh. goes, you've, uh, you've changed my life. She goes, that activity that you uh, ran down at the, down at Holfast Bay, down at Seacliff Beach the other day with um, uh, my daughter was actually in the water on the, and, and walking on the sand for over two hours with the Surf Lifesavers. And uh, for over five years, I haven't been able to, you know, get her to the wow. beach. And now we now she just wants to keep going back and uh, to actually see, you know, how grateful she was and how we've actually changed oh, um, a family. Yeah. And then now they can do that together um, is just, you know, is is why you keep doing what what we're doing yeah. and uh, you know we, we have a lot of those stories where you know we work with children who some of them may ha- have a few learning difficulties or you know their parents have never been you know able to get them to places or you know you know or they've run away or, mm. or whatever but you know they're so engaged in our um, events and uh, you know we get that feedback you know all the time how we've re- you know they've had an amazing day and uh, you know and, and thank you because you know we haven't been able to do that. Wow that's fantastic and can you add to that Jason? Yeah I think uh, we get lots of good stories which is which is it's just really nice to hear but probably one of the big ones from a program's perspective is when we helped uh, assisted autism SA mm. to do a cubby building in Belair National Park and for children with autism, the one of the big um, triggers, I guess, for, for many is crowds. Yeah. So we were able to, um, usually our cubby town is 2,000, 3,000 people, <laughs> but we specifically held a day just for families that had children with autism. And it was 200 families that came out and that's, that's it made a huge impact to their life. Yeah. Oh, um, and for me, when we talk about nature play, a lot of the time we're thinking about, you know, the in our minds we've got these children that all these kids they climb trees and they play with mud and all of the same but in actual fact when we extend it out to inclusivity then we start to see there's a whole bunch of other opportunities and more recently we've done some really good work with St Pat's Special mm-hmm. School and they've gone from a, um, a very concrete sterile area mm-hmm. to one now that they've engaged designer a natural play space designer they've worked with the kids on century issues they have a fantastic ot and they have this beautiful space that has water mud dirt sand and it just goes to show that nature is for everyone it is and it is such a beautiful space that they now have and the ot and the principal speak very highly of the benefits of giving those children oh that's and for me that's you know that's why we do that there's many many reasons that we say that's why we do what we do but our influence Often we don't realise because we're just so busy. Yeah. We're trying to we're trying to make a difference to everyone's yeah. lives, but we sit back and reflect, and mm. um, it's very powerful. But you've had some really tangible examples, though, haven't you? Some real things that have happened. I would like to sort of wrap up today's um, talk by I ask all my guests the same question at the end. So, if you could recommend two things that all people could do to improve their well-being, so what would they be? So, Sarah, what would yours be? Two things. Two things, um, definitely to to get outside uh, mm. into nature and and to have time for yourself. I think, you know, we live in a very very busy lifestyle, and uh, I think you know making time for yourself, yeah, and connecting with nature. Mm. And Jason. I have many things, but I won't yeah. give you many things. So I'll probably just sum it up with probably one that has lots of different things in it. The Everywhere I go and the parents I speak to, uh, the schools I speak to, they're at very different points in their life. 
And often they think that when we say, you know, get more nature to play in your life, that they need to change overnight. And sometimes it seems that it's not doable, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. So I always say to people, look at look at the ratio of stuff in your life. Look at the balance. So if you if your ch- children have three hours of screen time a day, make it two hours and take an extra hour outside. Yeah. Or we just start to look at, because if we slowly change the ratio, we change the culture of a family unit. And that is the most important thing, is to look at the culture of your family. Do you spend time cooking? Do you spend time growing together? Do you spend time out in nature walking together? And if you don't, how can you slowly introduce those things as habits in your life? Yeah. And as an adult, we need that time too. Yes. And we cannot underestimate it because every person you ask would be very familiar with the term, I just need some fresh air, mm. which basically means I need some nature. Yeah. And if we don't get that fresh air, we can't breathe. So we need to get out into nature. And whether that's walking around on a beautiful day like today in the street, just listening to the birds, that's nature. So it's finding time for ourselves, but then also changing the balance within our family unit. Yeah, that's that's really good advice because you're looking at it in a very practical way. Because mm. I think for some people, making a change can be quite daunting. So if you just do it bit by mm. bit, it makes it a lot easier. And I'll just mention that every person I've interviewed, no matter what area of well-being they're talking about, whether it's mental health, nutrition, physical health, Nature just has come up again, 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 again. So, you know, it's it's just important in every aspect of our life, I think. So thank you both so much for coming Thanks, on Thanks, Amanda. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Amanda. It's been great to be here. Thank you. That was Sarah Sutter and Jason Tyndall of Nature Play South Australia. I will put a link to their website in the show notes. You can subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, click on the bell to be alerted when new episodes are available. You can also subscribe on your favourite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Direct links to all social media can be found on the subscribe page of my website at www amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. If you would like to contact me, you can send me a message via the contacts page on my website. Please feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed and I'll do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. We put in a lot of time, money and effort behind the scenes. So if you enjoy Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast and would like to make a contribution via Patreon, PayPal or Amazon to help ensure we continue to provide you with excellent content, please visit the Contribute page on my website. Finally, please take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes. It improves visibility and will help me source excellent guests. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, Think well.